This is a Federal News Network podcast. The new year brought the opening of a new office at the State Department. It's called the Special Envoy for Critical and Emerging Technology, and it has a long list of responsibilities for what they are. Ambassador-at-Large Nathaniel Fick. Mr. Fick, good to have you with us. Great to be here, Tom. Thanks. And the Deputy Envoy, Dr. Seth Center. Dr. Center, good to have you. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Special Envoy for Critical and Emerging Technology. What is that? What is the goal and purpose of this new office? Ambassador Fick? So the the purpose of the office is to integrate and elevate the United States approach to technology diplomacy all around the world. We're involved in a global competition in everything from cybersecurity to trusted telecommunications to uh, quantum computing to biotechnology. Uh, And this is an effort to make sure we have Uh, senior diplomatic representation that we're getting the United States engaged and leading in all of these technology areas around the world. I guess I need a little more sharp definition of technology ambassadorship because I think of it as a national security negotiation sometimes or a trade issue, you know, dealing with the ant group or TikTok or this kind of thing or the, the issues surrounding the Chinese telecommunications gear. So maybe give us a picture of what it is, how we do diplomacy in these particular domains. I'm glad you raised that, Tom. I I was a Marine earlier in my career. And so many of my formative experiences were on the national security side of things. Uh, And I think it's essential that we not over-securitize technology uh, out of the gate. It's, uh, uh, these are issues of national security. They're issues of economic competitiveness, as you say. Uh, But they're also issues that, that sort of fundamentally affect how citizens Uh, live their lives all over the world. And uh, I have a deep and abiding belief that diplomacy must be the nation's tool of first resort. Uh, And so this is an effort. The the office and this work uh, are an effort to put diplomacy at the forefront in how the United States engages on technology around the world. All right. And uh, Dr. Center, what are some of the resources and people and other things you're bringing to the setting up of this office and making it operational? Sure. So Let me just set the stage briefly for you, Tom, put this in a little bit of a larger context. Um, When Secretary Blinken came into office and we looked at the broad challenges facing the United States and the world and the structure and organization of the department, it looked like a natural time to um, make sure that we had the workforce, the focus on these issues. That includes cyberspace, emerging technologies. It also includes a global health agenda. And so the secretary asked first to make sure that we had the right ideas, the right strategies, the right frameworks in place. And then once we've had that, to make sure we had the right organizations in place. And there's two stories here that are important. One is the story of uh, a relatively mature field of cyberspace, cybersecurity, digital diplomacy. And then there's a newer space surrounding the adjacent critical technologies that the administration has prioritized, biotechnology, micro, electronics, AI, quantum computing, as Ambassador Fick mentioned. And what we decided is uh, we needed to bring together the different parts of the organization that are thinking about these issues through the security lens, through the economic lens, through the lens of how they impact our societies, and make sure we have a coordinated approach to explain to our allies and partners how these issues relate to one another, what a positive vision is, how that positive vision relates to the harder national security challenges. And so we have a small office that uh, reports to the leadership that does that integration and leadership, uh, some of the forecasting to explain and relate these critical technologies to our 
diplomacy. And will this effort involve actual what we think of diplomacy, which is face-to-face discussions with similar people from other nations? I live on an airplane, Tom, and uh, we spend a lot of time doing exactly that. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. So uh, back in uh, back in the fall, uh, there was an election for the leadership of an international organization called the International Telecommunication Union. And this is one of those organizations that we all depend on and nobody's heard of. And uh, it was started in 1865 to make sure that European telegraphs and North American telegraphs and Asian telegraphs operated on the same standards so they could communicate. And that same mission of interoperability has extended all the way down into the digital era. And so now the mission of the ITU is connect digital connectivity, advancing inclusive, interoperable, secure digital connectivity for people all around the world. And uh, there was an election between uh, uh, an American woman uh, to become the secretary general of the ITU uh, and a, uh, a Russian candidate uh, who had been a, a deputy minister of telecommunications in Russia and before that was an executive at the Chinese telco Huawei. And those two candidates had very different visions of the world and how technology should be used. And so we were on the ground in, in Bucharest, in Romania, uh, meeting with delegations from all around the world, collecting votes for the American candidate, and she won in a landslide. So face-to-face diplomacy is very much a part of this. We're speaking with Ambassador-at-Large Nathaniel Fick and Deputy Envoy Dr. Seth Center, both of the State Department's new Special Envoy for Critical and Emerging Technology. And I just want to get back to what kind of resources you have. It's not just you two doing all this all by yourself. Right. So, th- so there was a, a major effort across, um, actually, this administration and the previous one to make sure that there were substantial new personnel uh, resources devoted to all of these areas. And so Ambassador Fick, in the context of, of standing up a new bureau, the Bureau of Cyber States and Digital Policy, um, you know, the Hill combined with the State Department created, I think, dozens of, of new positions for critical and emerging technology. We'll have multiple positions, and that includes positions across the State Department to deal with these issues on a security side, on a human rights side. So we're building capacity throughout the department on the personnel side. And this is really adjacent to the efforts that are going on in other parts of the national security enterprise to build that same kind of knowledge and capacity. So it's part of a much larger story. In addition to people, we have foreign assistance dollars, Tom. So we can spend money around the world on things like building capacity in in cybersecurity, training people to... uh, to, to develop, deploy, and use these technologies in ways that are that are respecting of human rights and inclusive. Yeah, that raises a question I wanted to ask you, too. In some countries, technologies that we use here for open purposes are often used on their head to keep people oppressed and to monitor and surveil people in ways that we would not consider nearly acceptable, you know, in the West and the United States. Is that part of the diplomatic sort of effort to maybe, as you mentioned earlier, yeah, it, change it, people's it minds. It is. Uh, I mean, as you say, there are there are different views of how technology should be used by governments. And we are advancing uh, a view that is based on a foundation of, uh, of American values and, and our respect for human rights. And so it infuses everything we do, every every aspect of the policy. And we think it's really important that we not only see things through a lens of competition with China or Russia, but that we articulate a positive, compelling, attractive, affirmative vision for the role of technology in societies so that people can join us. Because 
we can't do this alone. We need a it's the proverbial big tent. And uh, and we want large groups of countries um, uh, viewing and deploying technologies in, in ways that that we do. All right. And just for other people in the government, you two present kind of the classic situation of career and recently appointed working together to try to get something done. And I just want to get a quick indication of your backgrounds. Dr. Center, we'll start with you. You're the career guy on this uh, duo, correct? So in the past, I was a civil servant in the State Department at the National Security Council on the staff there across two administrations. I briefly left government to work at a, a couple of think tanks, came back to something called the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, which is a, was a congressionally established government entity. Know it well. So, I, so I've, I've been in and out, but in a nonpartisan way and as a civil servant. That's right. And Ambassador Fick, you are new to government, well, the Marine Corps notwithstanding. <laughs> it's better to travel by State Department jet than Osprey, I suppose. But you are new in this sense to the government. I am, yeah. After a, after a stint in the Marines after college, I, I spent the bulk of my career in, in venture capital and in uh, company building. And I, I built a technology business in the cybersecurity space. And so really jumped at the opportunity to get back to public service. And the security guards at the State Department laugh at me because I, I skipped through the turnstile in the morning. I'm just incredibly uh, grateful to be here and to be a part of this bigger mission. And that big clock on the wall there, is that working way up high, like that airport style clock? <laughs> In the it, lobby? It, it is, actually, yes. And I, I use it. I reference it sometimes I, to say that we're in a race with respect to these technologies, and we should all hear physically and metaphorically the ticking of that clock. And just a final question. It seems like you have support from the very top, from Secretary Blinken, and that's kind of an important ingredient for carrying forward, isn't it, that, that level of support? Absolutely. Uh, our efforts report, we, we report directly to the Deputy Secretary of State. Uh, we have incredible uh, support, uh, both in terms of resources and also kind of uh, moral support. Uh, this is one of the Secretary's top priorities, uh, and um, uh, we, we really uh, appreciate the, uh, the endorsement and the support that we've gotten. It makes everything possible. Ambassador-at-Large Nathaniel Fick, thanks so much for being with us. It's an honor. Thanks. And Dr. Seth Center, Deputy Envoy, thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. And they're both at the State Department's new Office of the Special Envoy for Critical and Emerging Technology. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive wherever you are. Subscribe to the podcast version wherever you get your shows. Leadership Today especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. 
And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, and on, I obviously will say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone and I thought, well, you know, I'll take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information and lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn, uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C., and you know uh Terrell who who works in in our mailroom who comes by with packages and deliveries uh if you're having a day that's you know getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in but Terrell comes by always happy always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of I I you know so often when you'll walk away I'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit, uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give, uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but, but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so, uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we, we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day. But, uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the, at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, 
I, I can't imagine that won't help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Um, and, and the thing that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the greatest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.